Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast with me, Sam Matterface. TalkSports football correspondent Alex Crook is here. Hello. Hello. We are looking forward to all of the weekend's Premier League action, including live commentary from two massive games on Saturday and Sunday, Manchester City against Southampton and then Everton against Manchester United. We'll also look ahead to Arsenal against uh, Liverpool. Huge game and we'll do it in the company of Liverpool fan and European football expert Kevin Hatchard, who's also here. Oh, I thought that was a link into something. <laughs> You've taken me by surprise there, Sam. Hello. Just a big hello is fine. <laughs> yes. That was uh, that was my radio head thinking, oh, he must be throwing to something. That's okay, not. we'll get into it uh, in detail. Uh, <laughs> looking at all 10 Premier League fixtures and hopefully Kev will keep up. It's the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Well, good evening. I'm Adrian Durham. What a privilege to be here at Anfield for Liverpool against Rangers. Rangers fans down away to my left ready to get the party started. They will create some noise. Salah shoots and scores. Liverpool 2, Rangers now. All to play for at the halfway stage in Group D. After Tottenham's hard-earned goalless draw. Away to Eintracht Frankfurt tonight. Tonight, we are concentrating on the Champions League. Erling Haaland, the striking cyborg, looks to add to his 17 goals. Erling Haaland with his 18th goal of the season. He's incredible, isn't he? <laughs> you know, he when, when we know a goal at the Etihad, I thought, it's got to be him, isn't it? It's got to be him. <laughs> I wonder when Erling Haaland dreams. Does he dream of, like, missing the target? You know, like the rest of us dream of, like, big things and good things. So we will go off to the game. Up at the Etihad. What do you reckon's happened? Can I have a guess? Why don't you? Uh, Go on, Haaland. Okay, let's find out. Mickey Gray. You guessed it. Erling Haaland. This guy is just unreal. Manchester City 2, FC Copenhagen 0. James inside the area, 3-0. Slams it into the roof of the net. Brilliant Chelsea goal. A result that gives the group a much healthier look. Kevin, have you had a really busy... Champions League week, is that what the problem yes, is? Yes, I think my brain has melted and I've got the Classica coming up this weekend, so I'm very much looking forward to that. So I think, yes, my uh, maybe the battery is on red. Maybe um, that's what's happened. I like the fact that just to ensure that the battery wasn't on red for Erling Haaland, uh, Manchester City thought, you know, it's not really fair on Copenhagen to sort of rip them apart. Um, so we'll take him off at half-time, by which time he'd already scored two. Now, obviously, the talk this week has been how many goals is he going to get in the Premier League? But actually... Maybe the first record he's going to break is Cristiano Ronaldo's record of 17 goals in a Champions League season. Uh, I mean, has he got 17 already? I don't know, but he's probably near. Um, I mean, he's amazing. But, 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 someone somewhere surely has got to find a way of stopping him, haven't they? That is, I mean, do you get yourself a really good job now if if you're the manager that stops him from scoring a goal? Well, Scott Parker stopped him from scoring a goal, didn't he? He got fired. (laughs) Too many (laughs) favours. Um, I think what's amazing is that we know how much Pep Guardiola loves to rotate his team. And he did it again last night. I think five changes uh, for that Champions League game. But Haaland was there. Uh, is that Haaland insisting that he wants to start every game because he wants to break these goal-scoring records? It's interesting to see exactly when Pep will decide that he needs a rest. Although I guess the fact he's not going to the World Cup exactly. maybe means that isn't such a priority. Pep's I mentioned that, Kev, already, hasn't he? I think it's a rhythm thing as well. I think, you know, if he's in the rhythm that he's in, he's fit, 
he's playing at an extraordinary level. I'm not surprised by it. We, we spoke about him before the season and I thought he'd get lots of goals, but he's even exceeded the expectation I had of him. The, the thing about stopping him is he scores all different types of goals. So it's very, very difficult to lock him down because he can run in behind and he can score goals using his strength, using his skill. He can have those ridiculous runs to the far post like we saw in the Manchester derby with that Kevin De Bruyne ball. I mean, how many players can actually stretch and score that kind of goal and have the control he had at full stretch? He can score headers. He's improved that. He can score tap-ins like Ian Rush used to do, you know, and, and goal poachers like that. So I just think he is a remarkable footballer. And I think literally the only thing that's going to stop him over his career is injury. If people, because what will happen is people will get frustrated. People will realize they can't stop him legally and people are going to nail him. And that's, that's the sad truth of it. And I, I hope that doesn't happen, obviously, but that's my fear for him going forward that eventually defenders are just going to get frustrated. Think of the punishment Messi's taken down the years. Yeah. I think he's in for something similar. Okay, um, that was Manchester City swatted aside uh, Copenhagen. I was at Stamford Bridge on Wednesday night. Chelsea produced their best performance so far under Graham Potter. I thought they were really good the way they controlled the game. It was difficult for the first half an hour or so. But once they made the breakthrough, AC Milan kind of melted. Uh, and I thought it showed a, a big gulf between Milan and Chelsea last night. But we should remember that there was probably four or five of their first teamers unavailable. We'll get to Milan in just a second. Uh, but Graham Potter, he needed that. Chelsea needed that in the Champions League, didn't they? Maybe they'll take the momentum into the Premier League at the weekend, Crook. They needed it massively, you know, just in terms of qualifying from the group. Um, they've given themselves a, a fantastic chance now, having got off that auspicious start away from home in Zagreb. And I think actually, once they'd scored the first goal, and as you say, it was against a, a bit of a makeshift Milan side, you saw some of Graham Potter's philosophies and the way that he likes to keep possession and the way that he likes the fluidity of movement come to the fore. I was impressed by Chelsea. We're going to talk about Trent Alexander-Arnold uh, later in the programme. But I think we saw why Rhys James is England's first choice right wing back. I thought he was terrific. And if Potter can get the best out of him, as Tuchel did before he was injured last season, then the future looks bright for Chelsea. Quick word on AC Milan and the players they were missing, Kev. Yeah, well, the goalkeeper, Mike Mignon, is a massive um, leap forward from Tata Rishanu and, and uh, they were always going to miss him. Teo Hernandez is the one, really, because he's such an important outlet for them down the left-hand side. He starts a lot of their attacks. They were missing that energy. But also, Chelsea are a hugely talented group of players, so it's always going to be tough going to Stamford Bridge. So, and it's a massive group of players as well. I couldn't believe like, yeah. last night just how many players there were. And then I just looked down the list and thought, Dennis Zachariah's on the bench. Forgot about him. <laughs> yeah. It was like Saul when Saul was there. I kept forgetting he was there. It's it's just, it's amazing the squad they've been able to put together. But it is going to take time for Potter to really bed down what he wants. But I thought that was a very encouraging performance with and without the ball. Not encouraging was watching Tottenham on Tuesday night. I did the Eintracht Frankfurt game. And uh, yeah, it was, listen, it was, it was better than it has been. That not necessarily saying it was good. It was it, it was it was a little bit more controlled. They looked a little bit more secure at the back, but they missed. And I never say this about Harry Kane, but he missed three guilt edge opportunities to score goals, and it was quite disappointing actually. It's got to the point where you're really putting pressure on those forwards to deliver because the whole system is geared to how do we get them in positions to do damage and it requires there's been a lot of talk about this in the last few days and I agree it requires almost perfection to kind of make the system work because it's so prescribed it's so rehearsed and you've had a situation when Tottenham have been doing well that guys like Kane, Son, Kulusevski have been overperforming XG have been putting away almost every chance when that doesn't work there is a massive drop-off in performance we saw it against Arsenal they had moments in that first half they didn't find the final pass or find the finish and make best use of those chances. I think Spurs will be fine. I don't think Conte is going to massively change what he does. It's always going to be that kind of rehearsed football, but it's just about that forward line firing again. And I do think they miss Kulusevski when he's not in there because he brings that dynamism and that unpredictability. Okay, no lunchtime kickoff this weekend at 12.30. TalkSport is around the grounds from one o'clock with Adrian Durham. We'll be at all the big matches on TalkSport 2. We're going to see Haaland. 
Haaland is on a run, he's got three Wolves players around him, not that that bothers him, gets it onto his right foot, strikes down low, and in, past the goalkeeper for another goal. This guy is a monster. If he plays all the games for the next decade at City, like he breaks every single record in wow. football. And Erling Haaland has another hat-trick. It's a hat-trick of hat-tricks at the Etihad Stadium in the Premier League for him, the first Premier League player to do that in the top flight. He's just a monster, isn't he? I mean, it could all be over in about two months. Drive and a determination is frightening to watch. My goodness, mate. Haaland is the best goal scorer on the planet. Yeah, three o'clock on Saturday afternoon. We've got live commentary of Manchester City against Southampton. Uh, it's uh, Erling Haaland looking to make it four Premier League ha home hat tricks in a row. Um, can, I mean, what's the score going to be here? Is it going to be? It's going to be nine, isn't it? It's going to be nine. I mean, everyone stops at nine, so I'm imagining it might, might, might just be the first half score. Well, if it if it is nine, uh, I fear for Ralph Hasenhutl. Obviously, there's been some stories in the in the newspapers over the last. 24, 48 hours about his job being under real threat now. They've been on a dreadful run, not just the start of this season, but going back to the end of last. Uh, I'm you being said told, that he was going to be okay. I'm being told yeah. at the moment he is safe. Um, but listen, as Darren, <laughs> Lewis said, nine. <laughs> as, as Darren Lewis said on the podcast the weekend, no manager survives three 9-0 defeats. I will just caveat that and say that I spoke to Carl Walker-Peters at an event on Thursday. And he said, Manchester City don't like playing us. Uh, two draws last season, Southampton ground out against the champions. <laughs> that might be wishful thinking, but he seemed confident they could go there and, and get a result. Listen, it's highly unlikely that anything else happens here other than a comfortable Manchester City win. But I think for Ralph Arsenhutl, it is the magnitude of the victory uh, that will be important. They've got new owners, Southampton, they're ambitious. And no matter how much credit Arsenhutl has in the bank, and I think he does, um, with some of the hierarchy there, it's 12 points from a possible 60. I mean, that is a, that is a pretty dire record for any manager. So he, he's, I think he is in trouble, but not immediately. I mean, who would have seen that coming? But what is the expectation for Southampton? I mean, he's kept them in that league. Keep a clean sheet, I think. Once yeah, upon but... a time, keep a clean sheet. Yeah, but they've, they've got young players. And as I said to Carl Walker-Peters, out of choice, young players, there's going to be... Out of choice, Brooke. This, yeah. is, this, is a, this is a choice that they've made. Yeah, so therefore, in terms of Hasenhutl's strength, it is developing young players. So if you're going to build a team of young players, I think you have to keep faith in the manager who's got a track record of getting the best out of young and experienced players. But I said to Walker-Peters, you're going to hit bumps in the road. There's going to be confidence crisis. And he said, you've hit the nail on the head. He's become one of the elder statesmen, as he told me in the dressing room. He's 25, Carl Walker-Peters. <laughs> um, uh, just, just to reiterate, for listeners of the pro, long-term listeners will know that uh, Crook would love to take Ralph Hasenhutl out for a beer. It's something that he said for many a year. Uh, Ralph has never taken him up on the offer. Now by, now. Going, now by going so heavily into his support uh, and suggesting that he keeps his job even in these circumstances, and maybe Ralph will take him up on it. If he does take you up on it, will you wear one of his three-piece suits so you can go out together looking like you're about to, you know, be ushers at a wedding? I, I do have a couple of uh, three-piece suits, courtesy of our friends at Mark Darcy, but no, I, I don't think I can match him in the Star States. <laughs> wow. Wow. That was subtle, wasn't what? it? <laughs> Crikey. <laughs> I think is that should we go VAR for that one, Kev? What do you reckon? Other tailors are available. Yes. Well, there um, we go. I, I, look, you can't upstage him. Whatever you do, if you're going to go out for a drink with him, you can't be upstaging him. You uh, need to let him wear the, you know, sartorially and, magnificent. And unlikely, style. Kevin, for Southampton to upstage Erling Haaland. Uh, yes, it's not going to happen. I spoke to um, Sean Derry, who's on the Crystal Palace coaching staff, uh, about him the other day. And he said it, it just is so difficult because even defenders who would back themselves physically against him, he's just ragdolling them. They're bouncing off him like a trampoline. And so he's got the strength, he's got the speed, he's got... The other thing as well is the awareness. People talk about his physical gifts and how powerful he is and how tall he is and how quick he is. He's super smart with his movement. Yeah. Always he... knows where to be, always wants to improve analyzes the game incredibly well for a player of his age that's a phenomenal attribute to have he weren't actually that great at heading the football uh for a long while and and now he's started to add that to his game 
Cheers. Um, <laughs> City can't afford to ease up on it, sort of the Premier League points total because Arsenal obviously are doing very well at the moment as well. They're a little bit behind them in terms of points right now. So there is that added sort of spice that City keep needing to win um, to keep up with the Gunners. And then you've got Southampton who are a youthful side. We understand there's going to be dips and troughs with them, but they've lost each of their last three games, failing to score in two of those three matches. In fact, they failed to score in three of the last five. Scoring is a problem as well. It only gets harder against a team like Manchester City, although saying that, United got three against them at the weekend. Um, I'm going to that game, actually. Manchester City against Southampton. Looking forward uh, to that. Chelsea against Wolves. Uh, Wolves' first game in the post-Bruno Large era. Uh, Crookie, who is going to be the manager? Have we got any details on that? I think it will be uh, Le Petigui. Uh, I think they were just waiting for him to be sacked at Sevilla. I know Kev's got some views on, on whether Monchi has, has made a mistake there by not holding out for the compensation. I don't think it will happen in time for this weekend. I think the plan, because he was obviously in situ in Spain, was that the, the two young coaches would take charge of the game at Chelsea, uh, assisted by the goalkeeping coach, Tony Roberts. So I would imagine uh, Le Petigui may even be watching from the stands at Molyneux. I think he's very much their preferred option. It sounds like George Mendes has worked his magic uh, to come up with a, a mutual deal uh, whereby Sevilla don't have to pay off his contract because he's walking straight into another job um, at Wolves. I think Lopetegui is a really interesting choice. I think if you look at his time at Sevilla, generally it's been very, very good. He won Especially the defensively. League. Yeah, uh, he can organise the defence. We know that. It's not always the most exciting football, but it is effective. He got them into the Champions League every season. It's funny how, how quickly football can change. If you look at this part of last season, Sevilla looked as though they were mounting a title push because Real Madrid weren't quite at it. Barcelona were a mess under Koeman. And you thought maybe Sevilla could actually do something, but they faded badly. And then Monchi, who I think in general has been a very, very good sporting director, basically had a nightmare because he had to sell Kunde because Kunde was pushing for a move. Sold Diego Carlos to Villa. We know that hasn't quite worked out and that's nobody's fault. But then suddenly his best centre-backs are gone. Yeah. And there were other moves that made no sense. Getting rid of a Campos made no sense. And so suddenly Lopetegui had a squad that was already declining and then had leaks springing up all over the place. So I think he needs a move. I think Sevilla need a fresh start. And I think he'll probably do very well at Wolves. Uh, Wolves only managed three goals all season. I suppose his first job is to try and get Diego Costa fit and firing. Diego Costa should have scored in the last game against the West Ham United from a header. Um, but Low goal scoring has been a problem, not just this season. It's been a hangover from the large era. Um, Chelsea didn't look like conceding last night. They conceded just one chance, really, in the whole game against AC Milan. But they have lost Wesley Fofana to injury. I was there, and I thought at the time, that don't look great. Mm. And he tried to play on for a couple of minutes. He's going to be scanned during the course of Thursday. But he left the ground on crutches and with a knee brace on. And when you've got a player who's had a history of bad injuries, it is a cause for concern whenever you see them go down and, and panic in the way that Wesley Fofana did. Well, that was always the risk, wasn't it, when they paid so much money uh, for a player fresh back from a long-term injury. And I think it is an issue for Chelsea because even last night, it looked like he was starting to form a, a decent partnership with Thiago Silva. I'm still not sold on Koulibaly. I'm not the only one, despite uh, what Kevin Hatchard uh, will come on here and, and say and defend him to high heaven. So I think it could be a concern for Graham Potter. And how much would Diego Costa love a goal in this fixture after the way it ended for him at Chelsea? He is going to be fired up. I guess the big question is, could he could he use that fire in his belly in the right way and, and maybe not step over the line? But just looking at the Bruno Large situation, I mentioned a week or two ago that there were issues at the training ground. If you look at the comments that have come out from the likes of Neves and Daniel Pedence, they've basically said, we didn't train properly under Bruno Large. And that's that's why we're struggling on a match day. How on earth can you ever be in that situation? How on earth can that ever be allowed to happen? It's like when Luis Felipe Scolari used to turn up at the Chelsea training ground at nine o'clock and then leave at around about half past 12. And everyone's like, what? He comes in for three hours a day. How does that work? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's to do with the variation of training as well. And he had that problem at Benfica. That The feeling was he, when things started to go wrong, 
it was just the same thing over and over again. And it's a bit of a pattern for him now. When he won that Premier League title with Benfica, they played sensational football. And you thought he was going to be able to kick on and he wasn't able to do that. And I think he became distant from the players. And that seems to have happened at Wolves. He's certainly somebody who backs himself. He felt that with time, he was going to be able to get it right, but it just hasn't worked out. He was always going to be bold because if you were going to put together what he felt was a more attacking team, if you're going to boot out guys like Connor Cody, it's got to work. You've got to get the results and you've got to be able to take the players with you. And he just wasn't able to do any of that. What about that, by the way? Because he's discarded Connor Cody, pushed him on to Everton, and they've sold him for £4.5 million. It's now a permanent deal, isn't it? That, that, that went through yesterday or or is organised to go through on the 1st of January. Is that right, Crook? Yeah, the option is minimal. And um, I think that's taken a lot of Wolves fans by surprise. As you say, four and a half million pounds i personally think that was a big part of bruno large's undoing sometimes yeah you, you look around the dressing room and there are certain individuals that you keep on board regardless of whether you're going to give them regular minutes or not hello gareth South- southgate keeps him in the england squad yeah. hardly ever pay- plays him but because he's such a useful tourist and great around the place and is useful as a footballer he can come in and do a job for you every now and again and be part of the squad he is one of the first names on the 26. Yeah, and obviously very popular with his teammates as well. And I wonder if that was the first stage of, of, of Bruno Large unravelling. I think it was him trying to make a show of authority. Obviously, he didn't believe at that stage that Connor Cody could play in a two. He's proved him wrong at Everton. And in any case, he went back to a back three with Neves as a central defender in his last game of his tenure. So it, it's been a disaster for, for, for Wolves, that transfer. And fair play to Connor Cody rather than sulking about his time at one club coming to an end, he's absolutely bought into what's going on at Everton. He's quickly become a fan's favourite. Not bad for a boyhood Liverpool supporter. Seven games unbeaten for Everton. We'll get to them in just a second. Just a quick word on Chelsea. Uh, one of the things that struck me last night when I was watching the game uh, at Stamford Bridge um, was noticing the number of young English players that were available for Chelsea. And I wonder how many of them are going to thrive under Graham Potter and whether or not that's been sort of a, a remit that's been given to him by Todd Bowley because they have got a big squad, but yet he, he tended to sort of use those academy players first rather than some of those more expensive acquisitions. Like, for example, Loftus-Cheek started last night. I thought he was absolutely terrific and was a contender for man of the match. Reese James was the best player on the park. Chilwell playing at left back. Mount was terrific last night. He played one ball out from the far touchline on the left-hand side to the right side, a brilliant switch of play with an unbelievable pass. Absolutely superb. You've obviously got Sterling, who they bought in. Chalabar came in and played in that back three last night when Fofana was injured in the first half. Conor Gallagher came off the bench and played higher up and therefore in his more natural position and showed what he can do. I just think, you know, that's quite a it's quite a big plus for Chelsea. They've also got Carney Chukwameka to come into the team where they spent some money on. You know, it's 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 quite it's quite bright for English football. Bearing in mind also that Tamori was playing on the other team. That's quite a... Quite a statement, I thought. Uh, Bournemouth against Leicester. Finally, a win for Leicester on Monday night. And it was terrific. I enjoyed being at that game as well. Madison was absolutely superb. Although, when I spoke to Steve Cooper afterwards, he did say, yeah, he, he was good. But we did allow him to be a bit good by giving him so much space. Um, is this the moment that the tide turns for Brendan Rodgers, Kevin? It's got to be the first step in a long road because one good performance against a team that's really struggling doesn't really prove anything. Madison's been good, I think, for most of the season. He's probably been their best player by quite some oh. distance. That fast coming in, I think, has helped. I think we've realised already that he is a pure defender. He's not flash, but he is a, a good defender. And I think that's what they need. Not flash. He can play. He's got, he's got, got a very, very extensive perp. Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, that yeah, well, I, I mean, suppose that is flash quite flashy, to some yeah. extent. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, he's yeah. balanced it out. You see, it's like <laughs> Axel Witzel. Axel Witzel with the with the the massive hair. Yeah, the Benfro. Think, oh, you know, th- there's a guy who's you know probably not the hardest to play as. Oh, he's just cut me in two. Fine. Um, <laughs> that's the so, thing. Do you remember in Benfica, right? In Benfica, there's like a thing amongst the supporters where if you play for Benfica, that they're, they're in a team, there has to be someone with the Benfro. That yeah. is like a is like a thing. They have to have at least one player with it. <laughs> so um, I I think, but that kind of player, I think can. I, we talked about Connor Cody going to Everton. The kind of player that can lead by example defensively. 
is what they need because mm. they've been playing Amati there. They've been playing Ndidi there. It's been an absolute shambles. And a, a lot of it's been sparked by Suyuncu's loss of form and loss of confidence. And I wonder, could that have been a reclamation project rather than just binning him, which is apparently what Brendan Rodgers has done? Uh, Leicester have only scored four times uh, in their away games this season. Jamie Vardy hasn't scored a goal yet. Pats and Dacca came off the bench on Monday night, scored a terrific goal. I spoke to him afterwards. A very happy fella as well. Like really jolly fella, Pat Sendaka. I like him. Um, but Madison, obviously the talk of the town, because Brendan Rogers said to me he should be in the England squad. I mean, is that just a very easy narrative to say, well, we haven't got this one, so we're going we're gonna to make a big thing about the fact that the one that he has left out, Gareth Southgate, should be included. He can't include everybody. Where's he going to fit into the team? On this occasion, I think his numbers are so good. And one of the big things about Gareth was, if you with Grealish in particular, if you put the numbers on the board, I'll pick you. Madison's put the numbers on the board over the course of the last 18 months. Is it time now or is it the wrong time because of where the World Cup falls for him to be included? I think if he was going to be included, he would have been in the, the yeah. last round of matches. The, the issue for him is there's no more warm-up games, no preparatory games before the World Cup. I think that incident where he... Mr. Squad and was pictured in a casino, probably is still at the forefront of Gareth Southgate's mind. I think it is a personality issue as opposed to a player not being picked on form because, as Kev said, he's been the standout performer in a very poor Leicester side. But I think probably his chance has gone. I think he will have a massive bearing on this game at the weekend. I'm sure that, that Gary O'Neill is coming out with a master plan, maybe a man-marking job from the likes of Jefferson Lerma to try and keep him out of the game. Vardy's lack of form is interesting because he had a couple of big chances in that game on Monday that he didn't take. So you wonder if Pats and Dakar may have played his way into the starting 11. And I still think Leicester defensively are vulnerable, particularly at set pieces with a goalkeeper. Forrest didn't really exploit that. So I wouldn't totally rule Bournemouth out of the game. Um, just a quick word on Gary O'Neill. You mentioned him there. He coming up with a master plan. His plan so far has been pretty masterful. They haven't lost a game, but he's been linked with other jobs now because Bournemouth haven't given him it on a full-time basis. He's obviously done very well. Middlesbrough are looking at him. Other teams are looking at him as well. But as managers change, and this is the period of the season where we do get a lot of chop and changing, I've noticed that in the championship, over a third mm. of clubs have changed their manager already. Um, is he going to stick around at Bournemouth or is he going to have to in the end, except that he's not going to get the job and therefore might take an offer. I think it's it's a difficult one for the Bournemouth board. Uh, Middlesbrough didn't follow up their interest, which I think was probably a source of relief at the Vitality because <laughs> they know they're not going to give him the job full-time. I think that's still an unlikely scenario and I think they're a, a good enough club that if a, a championship team, team did show serious interest, they would find it difficult to stand in his way. But at the moment, he's, he's in charge for this weekend. The new owner, Bill Foley, is going to be at the game. And O'Neill is only enhancing his reputation with every point that he picks up in the Premier League, with every match that he goes unbeaten. Um, one year ago, the Saudi takeover of Newcastle United went through. They'll be celebrating that anniversary on Saturday. Newcastle have got a very good record at home. This one kicks off at three o'clock against Brentford. They've lost just one of their last 14 home matches. And despite the fact that last week was only their second win of the season in the Premier League, Kevin, actually, it's pretty evident that Newcastle are going in the right direction. Yeah, they're much harder to beat. Uh, as you say, the home record's good. They've re-engaged with the fans, which is very, very important. Obviously, the Mike Ashley era, that wasn't necessarily happening. And actually, I looked at the data for Newcastle. They're, they're underperforming their expected goals figures by quite some way. So it's not as if they're not creating chances. They are. It's just a question of putting those away. So uh, I thought they took advantage of the early red card at Fulham very, very well indeed. Took advantage of the fact Palinia wasn't there as well. So there were big gaps in that midfield area. Obviously, Almiron scored that incredible goal. Um, I'm pleased for him because he's an incredibly hard worker. It's interesting. I think the feeling is that they're not as impatient as people think, maybe the owners. They feel that it is a long-term project. They're impressed with what Eddie Howe's done so far. They accept it's going to take a few transfer windows to really create something truly competitive. So he's got time at the moment. That top seven, I think, is the aim. And then you go from there because they were never going to get the elite players immediately. It is going to be a step-by-step -step process, as it was for Manchester City. OK, well, we'll take a look at all of the action from Sunday in just a second and Brighton Spurs as well. 
But first, the big game of the weekend. No doubt about it. It's in North London. Arsenal against Liverpool. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides, and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Now Thomas Partey swings the ball in towards the near post and scores a brilliant goal from range. Arsenal lead in the North London derby and their start to the season, their best for 15 years, is getting better and better and better. Now where they are, if they don't finish inside the top four from where they are right now, yeah. that's failure. Eye to the air, Jesus with a header, back goal. across the face of goal and past a stranded David Raya to score Arsenal's second. He's just come into his own. I think, you know, the, the the shackles are off him as far as playing in City's team and not knowing whether he's going to play every week. He's just a brilliant footballer and he's, he lives to score goals. Well, they've had a couple of tests now, Arsenal. Tottenham at home, Manchester United away. Didn't quite work out for them, although they didn't play too badly in it. But none bigger so far this season than Liverpool. A win over Spurs and Liverpool in successive weeks would be a huge, huge statement, wouldn't it, Crook? Yeah, I, I don't know if this is um, their biggest test because I, I still don't think it's Liverpool as we have come to know them. I still don't think they're firing on all cylinders. Rangers put up a pretty meagre challenge in, in midweek. It was a comfortable victory for Liverpool. I think Mo Salah converting the penalty will do his confidence the world of good. But I think if the two teams produce the level they have so far this season in the Premier League, I think Arsenal will win the game. What this is, is a big opportunity for Arsenal to lay down a marker because Tottenham at home, they have a good record against. The likes of, of Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester City, they don't. So if they can go out and, and claim a scalp uh, of the size of, of Liverpool, then I think, again, we have to we have to consider they mean business. I still can't see them getting near Manchester City, but I think if they beat Liverpool, they're going to make a very good case for them being the best of the rest. Absolutely. I think they've done very, very well so far this season. And last week, they did get a helping hand from Hugo Lloris, who made an absolute pig's ear of a, a ball into the box. And then Emerson Royale getting sent off didn't help Tottenham either. But that shouldn't paper over the cracks that actually Arsenal were very good in the game and controlled the game from start uh, to finish. And even though Antonio Conte tries to tell me that if the final ball was right, we would have won the game. I'm not sure they would have done. Um, in terms of uh, Liverpool, though, 11 points off the pace at this stage of the season. That ain't great, is it? And, you know, we can make all the excuses that you like. To me, it just seems like a general malaise has just cloaked over um, the, the club. They've just taken their foot off the gas all over the park, about 5%, 10%. And that has bad consequences. Well, look, they're built on intensity. That's what they've done. That's how they've managed to get the results that they have. But let's not forget, they reduced uh, a 14-point gap in the title race last season. Oh, we mentioned it last week. Where, we mentioned it last yeah, week. Uh, look, and the Allison uh, goal the year before, they came back from nowhere to get top four. We know they've got resilience. But it was more. my point was more that the effort it takes to do that 
the effort it takes to go right to the end of every competition you're in, there is always going to be a mental and physical effect of that. Yes. And I think if you've got a club like Liverpool that completely relies on that physical aspect, the, the football they play requires that you're at the top level every single time. Thiago's injury, I think, was massive in the early part of the season because I think he dictates their rhythm. So I think there are understandable reasons for why they've dropped off a bit. The other thing as well is, I think, given what they've spent, and look, they've they've brought in players for big money. I, I don't deny that. But if you look at the net spend over the last few years, it is not comparable to Manchester City or some of the other top clubs. So therefore, them competing for titles, them competing to win the Champions League, it's really quite remarkable. So uh, a drop-off was always going to happen, I think, to some extent. I disagree with Crook in the sense that it's not Arsenal's biggest test. It is. Stop laughing. Stop laughing. He's laughing. No, he's waiting. He's He's waiting. Oh, Jurgen Klopp, that fairy tale Cinderella story brought the Champions League and the Premier League to Anfield on a shoestring budget. <laughs> well, no, they've spent money, but look at what Manchester United have spent and look at what Liverpool have spent. Oh, and United always about floundered. United, Kev. Get, get well, them no, out of it head. is, though. Is, we're it is, though. Here. No, it is, though, because that's the kind of... That's what they're up against. And while oh. United have floundered and wasted, wasted money time after time after time and changed their managers and what have you, Liverpool have stayed the course. And so I think these dips are always going to happen. I think it's unrealistic to expect Liverpool to mount a title challenge every single season, while clubs like Manchester United have got nowhere near. Um, Talking of nowhere near, Darwin Nunez is nowhere near uh, where we thought he might be from the beginning of the season where he ripped up the community shield. But he admits one of the problems might be that he doesn't understand a word Jurgen Klopp (laughs) says. Um, he, He said, we don't talk much. This is about his relationship with Klopp. We don't talk much. The truth is, I honestly don't understand anything in team talks. I don't know English, and he doesn't know Spanish. Yes, we have a Portuguese translator in Pep, who I understand, and there is also Vidor, who is another Portuguese. They are translators when Klopp talks to the group. They sit next to me and explain what I have to do. If they didn't explain to me, I would then enter the field with absolutely no idea. It sounds promising, doesn't it? What? Why? I mean, surely... If you're him, like, just get a, a tutor every day. Just get someone come around your house and speak English to you every day and try and get to the point where you can at least understand a few things. No? Would you not do that? <laughs> I think old, you would. I, I think one. his English is great, by the way, Klopp. He was expl- but when he was explaining the um, – when he explains tactical stuff in a second language, I think we forget sometimes that's his second language. Well, it's Klopp, extraordinary, yeah. really. He's brilliant at moaning in English as well. He certainly mastered that. <laughs> well, you know, another string to his bow. <laughs> Listen, it's all about, it's all about uh, making sure that you can communicate. At the moment, their communication seems to have broken down a little bit. Um, look, Trent Alexander-Arnold's got a free kick uh, on, uh, I think it was Tuesday night, one of the nights in the Champions League. They all roll into one to me uh, this week. Uh, but obviously, he, he's had his problems. Good free kick. Well done to him. He's not back because of that. But, you know, let's, let, let's hope that they protect him a little bit better than they have done uh, recently. Another big game this weekend uh, in North London or for a North London team. I think maybe a headline maker. Brighton against Spurs at 5.30 down at the Amex. Now, Spurs, I mean, they are struggling to score goals away from home, but also their performances have not lived up to expectation. No Tottenham player has scored in open play in the last four away games. Apart from Harry Kane, no Spurs player has scored an away goal since mid-August. And Brighton, I mean, they've taken the sword to Liverpool in the last couple of weeks. They've absolutely annihilated Leicester before the international break. I know it's slightly different with the new coach, but they still look to be in very good form, Crook. Yeah, I was with a Spurs fan actually earlier this week, and I said, I fear for you at Brighton. He's going yeah. to the game. I think Brighton will win. Um, I'm fairly confident in that, actually. I just think their intensity, uh, the confidence that they had under Graham Potter that obviously continued at Anfield, the, the emotional energy that Deserby is already transmitting to his players. I think if Tottenham don't raise their game by at least two gears on what we've seen so far this season. I think this could be another painful night for Antonio Conte. Yeah, and Antonio Conte needs to win this game on the back of what was a disappointing North London derby and then a blank away from home in their recent Champions League game in Frankfurt. We've got their next Champions League game against Frankfurt, the return on Wednesday night live on Talk Sport. Um, But Brighton are unbeaten in their last seven home Premier League matches, Kevin. Yeah, and I think Deserbi is going to be a very exciting acquisition. And I think we actually saw 
elements of what he does against Liverpool because what they do is they have lots of players back in their own half in the build-up. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to dare players from the opposition to come and win the ball. Mm. It's high risk, but it's high reward because once you get through that first line of the press, bang, you've got loads of options. But Spurs don't fall for that. They Spurs won't, and I'll be Spurs I'll be really interested. It could it could go into a very ugly pattern. Yes. If you've got Brighton with the ball deep and Spurs just going, Nope, yeah. we're not gonna come and get that. Because that was so, similar in that Frankfurt game, actually. Both teams who like to counterattack, sort of very yeah. spread out. You know, they, they they didn't want to engage each other in a in, in that area of the field, that middle area of the field, because they knew that if they overcommitted, the other team really liked to counterattack. And Spurs like doing that. So if, if Brighton don't come onto them, Spurs will just sit deep and wait wait for opportunities to spin in behind from a Harry Kane ball into Kane or, or to Richarlison. So you're right. It could end up being quite a sort of hmm, half halfway house of, of, of a mismatch of styles. Yeah. I don't think it will be mega fun, but I think it'll be a, a one for the tactics people, I think to, to really enjoy. It's but I think one Des- for the saddos. Yeah. Yeah. But like me, to be honest, I, I, look, I think Deserbi is going to be great for them. I think he's a really good fit. I know there have been uh, skeptics about his record. Oh, I hadn't but... heard that. Where, where no, apparently they? so. Apparently so. Um, look, I I think he's terrific. I, I think he plays bold football, brave football. It's interesting to hear some of the players already. Danny Welbeck's talked about the potential of what he's going to try and do. And he's got almost the perfect squad for it because under Graham Potter, it was all about being brave in possession sticking to a tactical plan, trusting in the manager. If you've got a, a willing group of guys who will go there for you, I mean, that's exactly what he wanted. So it feels like a really good fit to me. There is a bit of a sad subplot uh, for Tottenham coming into this game as well on Thursday morning, just as we were recording this pod, actually. Um, it's being reported that their fitness coach, Gian Piero Ventrone, a uh, man nicknamed the Marine, very popular with the Tottenham players, and indeed with Antonio Conte, passed away suddenly of leukemia aged just 62 so i'd imagine the tottenham players will want to go out and put in a performance for him wow that is a uh, that is a really sad piece of uh, breaking news and and he has been a massive part of tottenham over the summer you might have seen the pictures of them training when they were on pre-season tour as uh, someone that's worked a hell of a lot with um, antonio conte someone that has really like drilled into the Tottenham players about getting fit and making sure that they are at the top of their, their their physical peak going into the season and so that it's going to last actually over the course of the campaign. He, uh, you, You'll remember the sort of scenes during that tour of Harry Kane mid-training session throwing up, but all the players, for whatever reason, seemingly bought into this philosophy and apparently this guy uh, who, who who has sadly passed away so great with the players. He's brilliant at being in tune with the players and they had a really close bond with them. Uh, him, Son in particular, you know, he was going through his very bad patch. He had a few problems. He was using him as a bit of a, a sounding board. So that is that is absolutely shocking news and it will have a massive effect on Tottenham Hotspur going into the weekend. Right, yeah. let's move on to the rest of Sunday. Yeah. Everton against Manchester United live on TalkSport, 7 o'clock on Sunday. Um, not a traditional kickoff time for Premier League football, 7 o'clock on a Sunday. And uh, it had to be on a Sunday because Manchester United playing in the uh, Europa League. Um, they had a bit of travelling to do this week to Ammonia Nicosia. And because they were going to Cyprus, they didn't want to play too early. So they sort of agreed between the two of the clubs that 7 o'clock was the best time to do it because of the fact that there's only an hour between Manchester and uh, Liverpool. That, Transport's not that difficult for people I wouldn't have thought. Um, and it's a great time if you're sitting at home watching it. I'm not necessarily sure you want to be out on a Sunday at 7 o'clock if you're um, a young kid getting ready for school the next day. But anyway, we've got it live on Talk Sports. So if you are a young kid and you don't want to go to Goodison Park and your mum and dad won't let you stay up and listen uh, or watch the football, just make sure you, you know, get to your Alexa in your room or your, your smart speaker or your phone. Download the TalkSport app and you can listen to the commentary. Right? Is, this you, is this you telling people not to go to work again, Sam? Come on. No, 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 no. Go to work. You just go to bed, listen to the football. I'm not saying don't go to work. Please go to school, do your homework and eat your greens. But don't, you know, don't, I'm not going down that road again. That got me into a lot of trouble. Um, and you know, sometimes I'm like in a, in a pub or something like that and someone will just come up to me. Someone who doesn't like football go, 
you're the bloke who turned around and told people to take a day off, aren't you? But you'd get to a final for the first time in about 150 years. Um, kudos to That's Frank Lampard. <laughs> kudos to Frank Lampard for turning it around at Everton. They've only considered seven goals this season. The best defence in the Premier League, by the way. I'll have you know, Crookie. Um, I'm beaten in seven as well. Connor Cody, a revelation. I mean, this is, I mean, this is, this is dreamland stuff for Everton, isn't it? I mean, if they beat Manchester United at the weekend, which is highly possible, by the way, um, then they, uh, then they'll have a cracking start to the season. Yeah, this is one of the last fixtures I think United will want at this moment in time. As you mentioned, obviously the, the Derby defeat was, uh, was followed up by that trip to Cyprus, but Everton, a team who've become defensively quite stubborn at a ground where United actually in recent years have struggled. We all remember that 4-0 thrashing they suffered during Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's reign. There's a bit of a rivalry because of the, the Liverpool-Manchester connection between United and Everton. So United are going to have to be at it. You know, They're going to have to be um, showing a lot more effort and endeavour and a lot more uh, willingness to press the ball than they did against Manchester City last weekend. Otherwise, um, I think they could be looking at another disappointing afternoon, potentially, or evening, should I say, on TalkSport. Yeah, I think I was there last year when Anthony Gordon scored the winning goal for Everton against Manchester United as they uh, helped stay in them, helped themselves stay in the Premier League. Why has Eric Ten Hag shunned the services of Casemiro, um, Kevin? I don't understand. Uh, Obviously, last City. week against Manchester City, you know it's going to be difficult in midfield. Why would you not put him alongside Scott McTominay at least? Uh, as my mum would say, he needs his head read. I think <laughs> uh, I, I don't really understand why you would have a player of his quality, his experience, his track records, and put Scott McTominay in the team ahead of him. I, I can understand about dyna dynamics and you say, oh, well, you've got to win your place and all this. Sorry, it's Casemiro. He should just be walking into that team. Yeah. And I do Why have find you spent it really, the money if you're not strange. going to use it? Yeah, and if you've got a Manchester derby and you've got the kind of player who could break up play like he can, who can also kind of walk that disciplinary tightrope, no problem at all, why would you not use him from the start? I, I, I think that's bravado, really. I think it's him saying, look, the coach is in charge. Uh, I think it's crazy. I think Everton, by the way, I think it's about personnel. You know, you've got... Connor Cody, we've mentioned James Tarkovsky is another one. They're already calling them the dads, aren't they? Uh, Cody and Tarkovsky, because of the impact they're making on and off the field. They are leaders. They are pure defenders as well. And it's a lovely mix because Tarkovsky's great in the air. Cody's good with the ball at his feet. And they've got a great goalkeeper behind them. So, Kev, I was at the Fleetwood Town game, right? And um, neither of them played in the match, but they were both there. And we were watching them warm up and I walked down to the front. I was talking to a couple of the coaches. I saw Ashley Cole, Joe Edwards, a few of the others just having a chat. And Connor Cody and James Tarkovsky came over and we and, and uh, we, we sat there and we were all chatting away. And, was looking, and we're just looking at the kids. I just thought to myself, these guys, they're not even involved tonight. They could have had the night off. Yeah. They're, they're sitting here. They're a big part of it. They're ratting around them, trying to get the players moving. They're, they're such big influences. And it just shows, you know, that was one of the things that they identified was a problem, the coaching staff. We need bigger characters in the dressing room. We need leaders. It's too quiet. The dressing room was too quiet. Obviously, it's not now because Kona Cody's in there. Um, but uh, they needed someone with legs in midfield. They didn't have that before. They've got Anana and Gay now in there. And they needed more of a goal threat. Now, look, that's always the hardest thing because no one scores 20 goals a season. No one. No players ever score 20 goals a season. That sounds like I'm being ridiculous, but there is over 100 players that play regularly in the Premier League every single week. None of them, apart from three, ever score 20 goals in the season, right? So a 20-goal-a-season striker does not exist unless you are at the very, very, very top. So clubs like Everton, like Brighton, they don't get them. But they've got someone now in Mopé who can hold the ball up, can cause problems for defenders, can create space for other players to come in and contribute as well. So they've got a little bit more of a threat and they may have Dominic Calvert-Lewin back in the not-too-distant future. I think they've done very, very well. Um, uh, Dominic, well, stop being, stop being facetious. Stop being facetious. <laughs> I would go out for a pint with Frank Lampard, though, but I wouldn't dress like him. Um, <laughs> Donny van der Beek played for both clubs last year, but he's been told he's not part of Eric Ten Hag's plan. What has Donny van der Beek done? I don't understand. No one likes him. Why does no one like him? Has he said something on social media? Does He's he obviously not good enough. Wear bad clobber. Does he not eat properly? What is it? Does he like a beer? I don't understand. Why, why, why do people not like him? 
It's ability. It's got to be. When you look at the fact that Solskjaer didn't want to pick him, Rangnick didn't want to pick him, he went to Everton and still couldn't get in the team. And now Ten Hag, who obviously knows him inside out from his time in Holland, still doesn't think he's up to the rigours of the Premier League football. Is he not fit? What is it? I just don't get it. I think it's confidence. I think it's confidence, Sam. I think if you look at the player that helped Ajax get to the semi-finals of the Champions League in 2019, incredibly intelligent with his movement, would sneak into areas and before you even realised he was there, he'd scored a vital goal. But he needs a system built around him to some extent. He needs to be comfortable in that system. Went to a completely dysfunctional football club in Manchester United. That's been proven. Another um, pop at United. Hey, come on. Today. He's going but for it today. But at the time he was there, a completely dysfunctional football club uh, and still uh, with a lot to do. So he went there, completely lost his confidence. We see this all the time. Players that were playing at a certain level then suddenly can't. There are lots of better players than him at Manchester United. That's the bare truth of it. I think he will go somewhere. If you dropped him into a, a decent Bundesliga club, he'd be brilliant. Uh, I, I, and that's, you know... That's his level. The level but the level United operate at, at the moment... With the player, he's not going to get in ahead of Bruno Fernandez. He's not going to get in ahead of Ericsson. It's just not going to happen. So I think he needs to be one of the main men somewhere and get that confidence back. Because you know we talk about Everton. Oh, he went to Everton. He couldn't get in the team. Well, they were fighting a relegation battle uh, with uh, you know. It's not going to work for him. All kinds of flux. No. So that was the worst place for him to go. Quite frankly. Um, okay, let's uh, move on to West Ham against uh, Fulham. David Moyes obviously buoyed by the fact that they won against Wolverhampton Wanderers last week. They need to back it up, though, don't they, Crook? Yeah, they do. And I think we we predicted it on the podcast that, that maybe the time had come for David Moyes to put his faith uh, in some of those expensive summer signings. Skimaka with a wonderful uh, individual goal certainly repaid that faith. Not sure if Mitrovic will be fit. For Fulham, if he isn't, obviously that is a, a major issue. Kev's already yeah. mentioned that they missed Paulinha last weekend. So this could be a good time for playing Fulham. And, and actually, we're, we're in October now. This is the, the, the time of the season when a Marco Silverside in the Premier League tends to uh, have a bit there, of a wobble. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it will be interesting to see what he's made of this time Paulinha is going to be back, time. though, from suspension. So it's not as if um, he's missing with injury. Paulinha's back from suspension. Chalabar is suspended after being sent off last week. And actually, you have to factor that in when looking back at the game against Newcastle because they played with 10 men for 80 minutes in that match. Uh, but they have conceded at least twice in each of their last six Premier League matches. That suggests a bit of an issue against the West Ham team that don't concede that many goals, actually, Kevin. Yeah, and I think you're asking Palinia to do too much to some extent because he's a force of nature in that midfield area. The fans love him already, but he's aggressive and that's why he picked up five yellow cards already and got himself a ban. So he can't do it all alone. I think it is important to get that balance between attack and defence, but I think they've done really well so far. I'm excited about Skabaka. I think he's a great player. I I think it's just about West Ham understanding what he's all about. He's not Mikel Antonio. They're very, very different. So it's about tailoring the attack to some extent to him. I think they made that mistake with Sebastian Allaire. I'm hoping they don't make that mistake with Skamaka. Crystal Palace against Leeds. Um, Crystal Palace have had a very difficult set of fixtures, actually. And you wonder whether or not this is an opportunity now for them to kick on. They've played five of the top six. Um, Kevin covered leads last week what did you make of them is there enough in that squad to keep them up I think they yeah at times they play some brilliant football and I watched a little bit of their game actually at the weekend and I thought the first half I thought wow you know they when they move the ball well and they play high up inside opposition territory they pop it around with such dynamism they can unsettle anyone I mentioned this I did a a tactics piece after the Southampton game about how good they can be the problem is is their quality of player is not as high as a Manchester City and they're trying to play Manchester City type football but sometimes when it does break down, it breaks down in an area where they're automatically very vulnerable and then they get counted on and then there's a problem. That sometimes happens to them. But they have got great potential. I don't think they're going to be in a relegation um, problem uh, this season. I think they'll be I think they'll be mid-table. Yeah, I think Leeds will be fine. Uh, I think he brings a certain chaos to every single game and he doesn't back down at all. That's so just what him you on will... the touchline. Yeah, completely. Yeah, exactly. Um I love Aronson. I think he's great. I think his energy, his ability, his movement. I think he's a really smart kid. I, I think he's going to do great. 
And I, I just think they will have enough dynamism. Getting Bamford on the fields and fit is going to be massive for them. I thought he came on against Villa and looked great. Uh, you know, he, he, there was one surge into the penalty area and a shot that Martinez was able to keep out. And you thought, ah, oh, they've really missed that. Just that change of gear. So I think they've got all the tools. They're going to concede goals. There's no question about that because they're wide open. Melier is the most confusing player in European football because I know there is a brilliant goalkeeper in there somewhere. But sometimes he looks like he's won a raffle to play when the ball's he's in. He's only air. about fifteen. Well, yeah, exactly. And you know, you you wonder if he's a bit shell shocked. To be honest, at times the amount of saves he's had to make uh, from uh, the start of last season to now, he's made more than any other Premier League goalkeeper. But he's also conceded more goals. But I just think his judgment in coming through traffic to get the ball is just not right at the moment. But as a shot stopper, he's outstanding. A uh, quick word on Nottingham Forest against Aston Villa. Monday night, game night, back again. And Steve Cooper will be there um, because uh, he's been told after conversations with the club uh, that uh, he's going to be sticking around. I don't think it felt like that on Monday night when I spoke to him in the tunnel after the defeat to Leicester City. Can ill afford another big defeat at home. They've lost the last three home matches. And the the only worry I'd say about you know the good news is, is that he's been given a vote of confidence by the board. But the, uh, the only problem with, with that is it's a little bit like, you know, oh, by the way, uh, we, no, 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 we're not going to sell you. Not not yet anyway. Oh, oh, great. Okay, so you are think you are thinking about breaking up with me, but you know, I'm just you're just going to put me through torture over the next few games to see if whether or not I can up my up my my game. Um, and they bought in a new sporting director, which is always a recipe for uh, a change of gaffer. They've already signed thirty players. What's he going to do? It's a bizarre situation, um, and I think the writing is on the wall for Steve Cooper. Actually, it wouldn't surprise me if they were to lose this game against Aston Villa, but he would be relieved of his duties on Tuesday. I think once you are aware, maybe it's a similar situation with Hasenhutl that certain board members, and in this case the owner, is contemplating making a change. It's very difficult to turn that situation around, and they do look a bit rudderless, Nottingham Forest. Yep, Aston Villa don't look that great either. They uh, drew 0-0 with Leeds on Sunday, which was the worst game of football. Actually, one of the worst games of football. There was another Friday night game involving Aston Villa uh, that was a bad game of football earlier in the season. That was the Southampton game. That was terrible as well. But Aston Villa just generally are involved in bad matches. They're rubbish. Great to watch. They're really tepid, Sam. They're they really, um, they really are tepid. It's a perfect description of their performances. That game against Leeds was really strange because the first 20, 25 minutes, they were really passive and just let Leeds do what they want, really. And you thought at that stage, Leeds are going to batter them here. And actually, they got a bit bolder towards the end of the first half. Jacob Ramsey, who I liked very much, had had the handbrake on for the first 20-odd minutes and suddenly was popping up in higher positions. But they've got big issues in terms of getting that ball through the thirds, getting it from midfield to attack. It's just all really ponderous and slow. And even after Sinistera got himself ridiculously sent off for Leeds... Villa didn't really look that often like breaking them down. I know Coutinho hit the post, but he's got a lot to do there, Stephen Gerrard, in terms of the the kind of automatic nature of the attack because it's yes. too, it's all too slow. They're thinking too much well, because there's too, too many changes. It's constantly changing to that front yeah. line as well, which is which is, doesn't make it any easier. That's Monday night. It's live on Talksport game night. Looking forward to that with Danny Murphy and Adrian Durham. Six o'clock. We're on air on Monday. I'll be at Everton versus Manchester United on Sunday. I'm going just to go and watch. So I've got a day off on Saturday. I'm going to watch Manchester City versus Southampton on Saturday as well. Uh, Crook, where are you going to be at? I'm going to be at Bournemouth with Adrian on Saturday uh, alongside Bill Foley. Um, so that'll be an interesting one. And then I'm doing the, the Palace-Leeds game, actually, on Sunday for TalkSport International. You don't look Hopefully too excited about that. that. Looks on paper. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Foley, the new owner of uh, uh, Bournemouth, expected to be. Uh, Kev, what games are you up to? You're doing uh, a big, huge match, aren't you? I am. Uh, Hoffenheim Werder Bremen, which is on uh, Friday night. And then there's a much smaller game uh, on the Saturday. I'm going to be at Zignal Iduna Park for Dortmund against Bayern. Wow. Very much looking forward to that because it's not often when they play each other, they're locked together on points. But that's the case at the moment. And uh, it is an enormous game for both clubs. 
and Jude Bellingham's been, I don't think he'll be captain on Saturday because we think that Hummels might be back, but uh, he has been captaining the team at the age of 19. Just yes, remarkable. and scoring as well in the Champions League this yeah. week too. Um, look, I, I don't know if you've got any time, but if you want to come to Manchester, we need to go and uh, eat out uh, because there has been a bit of a stir caused by the wife of Ilkay Gundogan, uh, Sarah Afwi, who has uh, come out today and on her Instagram page, has slated the culinary scene in Manchester. And I have to take issue oh, with her. I, I mean, absolutely out of order. She says, uh, someone asked her a question on Instagram. Favourite Manchester restaurant? She said, sorry, I'm sad to be honest, but nothing. I tried so bad to find a good restaurant, but horrible food everywhere. Can't find a real Italian or good sushi. Mm. Uh, or, just, uh, fresh, uh, or just fresh food. Everything is frozen. Restaurants here are focusing on making money and drinks and shots like nightclubs, not quality food. Maybe in London, but Manchester, nothing. I'm sorry. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you and Ilkai come over? I'll get you a takeaway from Wacom Flame down the road. You'll absolutely love it. The best <laughs> Chinese in town. Or I'll take you to the sushi restaurant along Fog Lane, which is absolutely sensational. We can all go to Tast with Pep Guardiola because he co-owns the restaurant. El Gato Negre Tapas is quite good as well. You might want to go to uh, one of the great steak restaurants or uh, Australasia that does super sushi in spinning fields. There's loads of great places. Don't talk nonsense. Get out of your box. Yep. Um, Kevin, luck. thank you very much. Uh, we'll uh, speak to you soon. Crookie, we'll see you on uh, Monday morning. The podcast will be out Monday lunchtime. Uh, if you have listened to this podcast, the Monday one reflects on all of the weekend's matches. And then it goes up on YouTube as well. So make sure you tell all your friends about that. Talk support YouTube page open for business. I'll see you on Sunday night for Everton against Manchester United live on TalkSport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 